Well, good morning, church, and thank you for singing so well and uh, gathering together. It's nice to have a, a full house in-house, and I trust even a full house online. And uh, we're in the process of working our way through the book of James. But before we go there, I actually want to take a few and just kind of big picture, step back and remind ourselves even where we've been going as a church family through the sermon series this year. So if you would, if you have your Bibles with you, I trust you do, would you turn to Psalm 34? Uh, I want to read a passage there here in just a second. Um, what I'm uh, wanting to reflect on here is where we've come this year. Uh, we began this year with a brand new church name. And uh, we started that uh, the year out by saying, hey, we need to do some walking in those boots of this new church name for a while and get familiar with it. And so we decided to kind of set up three series this year, each of them oriented to the, one of the words of our new church name. And so uh, the first word, radiant, uh, beginning of January through midway, mid-May, uh, we did a series on uh, grasping his greatness and I think of Psalm 76, 4, it says this, You, Lord, are radiant with light, more majestic than mountains. Radiant. So we hit on that and just who our God is. And then in mid-May through the beginning of July, we picked up a series on radiant God and uh, trusting his word, uh, highlighting the word Bible. Uh, we are a church that holds God's word high and I think of Psalm 19.8 that says, the precepts of the Lord are right. It says, the commands of the Lord are radiant. I love that. The commands of the Lord are radiant. And, uh, and then we, uh, in July, began the series we're in right now through James. And, and it's really, we're using James, uh, working our way through James to see what does it look like to be his people? Uh, what are realities in all of that? And in Psalm 34, uh, I love this, verse 1, it begins with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from my fears. And look at verse five. Those who look to him are radiant. That's where we're grabbing a hold of this. As a church, we want to be God's people like that. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. And so as we're in James, we're trying to grab a hold of this and uh, as we're walking in the boots of our new church name. Well, before we dive into James, let me pray for us from there. Uh, God, thank you for this church family. Uh, you have blessed us, you are with us, and we are so grateful for it. God, I pray for the people in here, in-house here. I pray for those watching online. I just pray that we would be a people leaning into you that we would indeed be a people who are yearning to grasp your greatness, that we would indeed be a people who are uh, trusting your word, and that we would indeed be a people who are seeking to increasingly be your people for your glory. So God, as we uh, lean into you, we need your help. Spirit of the Lord, do a work in our lives as we just sang. I pray in your name, amen. Well, we're in James, and if you would, open to the epistle of James, and and uh, it, actually, uh, start in James chapter 1. I'll get there in just a second here. If you're not familiar with the Bible, go to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, turn like about a dozen pages prior to that, and you'll hit 
the epistle of James. Today it's being our people, being his people in our wisdom. And uh, the wisdom, um, I want to, as you're turning to James, I want to kind of bring up a couple passages that come out of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon was uh, known to be a wise guy. And uh, so here's a couple passages from him just whetting our appetite for a time today. Proverbs chapter 1, he kind of gives the idea of the whole book of Proverbs. Uh, It is to know wisdom and instruction Uh, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, in justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then in Proverbs chapter 2, he says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Who gives wisdom? The Lord does. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Love that. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. And then just a few more. Proverbs 4, 5, the first two words of that are get wisdom. Get wisdom. Two verses later, he repeats that. Get wisdom. Wisdom, And then lastly, Proverbs 16, 16, uh, how much better to get wisdom than to get gold? Get wisdom, get wisdom. Hey, hey, here's a question. How do you get wisdom? What does that look like in that? Well, that's what James really talks about here. Um, In fact, how did Solomon get wisdom? If you want, on your own, you can go 1 Kings chapter 3. Uh, Solomon, First uh, Kings 3, tells us that he, f- that he loved God, that he followed after the statutes of his father David. And, and then uh, one evening in a dream, uh, God appears to Solomon and says, Solomon, uh, what's one thing you would like for me to give to you? Oh, now there's a question, huh? I've been waiting for that dream. And I, although I wonder, seriously, I wonder what I would ask. And it depends on the day. Uh, But Solomon in it, Solomon asked for what we would call wisdom. He asked that God, in leading these people, Lord, in in, in all that you have for me, in the place that you have for me, God, would you give me discernment? Would you give me wisdom? And and God gave Solomon wisdom. And I'm going to say it uniquely, uniquely. In other words, God uh, showed up, asked, and then I walk away from it and go, God just was like, here you go, boom. I want to say this, that was a unique time. That is not normal. I've not had that moment. I want that moment. (laughs) But honestly, that is not the norm. Uh, We see the picture of God giving wisdom. We come to James chapter one, bring that to James chapter one. Here's the norm. Verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, James is writing to Messianic believers, churches scattered, believers in Christ, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him, let her ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask, let her ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. I, I just can hear Solomon cheering James on 
as he writes this. Um, and, and I can even hear our great God writing through here because this is the Lord's word. So here's the question, how do you get wisdom? Well, James 1, 5, wisdom begins and continues on our knees. Wisdom begins and continues on our knees. Now, there's a reason I put the word continues in here with James 1.5. Because in James 1.5, the use of the terminology for ask God in the original language, it's what's called a present active imperative verb. The asking of God is a imperative. It's a you must. It's a call to. It's a, listen, uh, follower of Christ, you must ask God for wisdom. You must. And it's present active. That means, and you must be presently, actively, and continuously asking. It's not in an heiress form. It's not in another form. It's in a present active imperative. And, And this is the norm. This is the norm. Solomon's was unique. The norm is, is that the idea that wisdom uh, uh, begins and continues on our knees. And that begs the question, and I'll just tell you straight up, it's begged the question of me this week, and I haven't really loved the answer of it, seriously. What's the trail of on my knees asking for wisdom? What's the trail of on my knees asking for wisdom? Is it scattered? Uh, Am I waiting for a Solomon moment? Because honestly, that's actually not what James is saying to be asking for. James is giving the clear idea that it's a constant, continuous, on our knees and daily throughout the day, not just praying in the morning, but in this moment. Uh, God, give me wisdom. And it makes so so much sense here because uh, turn to James 3 because we're going to move there. Out of James 1, verses 5 through 8, it begins on our knees. And we move over here. And we remember last Sunday in chapter 3, we, we saw the idea that, 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 that uh, uh, taming the tongue. That God calls us to tame our tongue in our talk. And in that, it even made reference that our tongue is like a flamethrower. You know, if I could go back last Sunday, I would kind of add this in, that it's our tongue is like a flamethrower where the, where the pilot light is lit and, and, and it's ready to fire and our fingers on the, or maybe our tongue is on the, on the trigger. And at any moment in time, <laughs> Is that a scary, ugly kind of idea? But that's kind of what's going on with it. Our tongue is like that. And so you get done with that, and you hear that call from last Sunday, and it's like, yeah, but God, how do I be that? And James is like, I want to talk to you about wisdom. Because it takes wisdom to be that. And so here he brings wisdom up on the table for it. And I would summarize the rest of our time and what James is talking about in verses 13 through 18 is this. Wisdom shows in the daily humble conduct of our lives. Wisdom shows in the daily humble conduct in our lives. How do I know if I'm having God's kind of wisdom? Well, we're gonna learn because it shows. It shows not like this, it shows like this. So these two, James 1, 5, wisdom begins and continues on our knees. And know this, it continues off our knees as well in the going and the doing and the showing of daily humble conduct of our lives. Let's pick this up, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who? By his, by her good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
We've already talked a number of times, James just kind of with paragraphs and with subjects in it, he just has this way, he, he, he raises a subject. Uh, I think they all connect, I think there's a movement in it, I don't think they're random, proverbial random, I, I think they're moving in it, like we were talking about, it's coming off of the tongue, and so he, he now brings this, this, he raises a question and then he makes a statement with it and raising it up. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Now there's two ways that that is probably being received. One way is that probably all God's people are like, I want wisdom. Like, I want wisdom and understanding, Lord. Like, like I want that. I don't think I am that, and I want that. And honestly, most likely there are fewer <laughs> in their head. They're going, that's me. I- I'm wise. Uh, I'll just say, James is talking to both, okay, here. And, and then he makes this statement, by his, by her good conduct, let him show It's so interesting. James has been all about showing. I think there's a reason for that. I'm going to guess that back in that day, particularly with these Jewish individuals, Messianic believers scattered around, that there may have been a problem, that there's this idea that, you know, my faith in Christ is just a me thing. It's an internal thing. That would never be thought of today, would it? No, no, no. It's just me. I don't need anybody else. I don't need to engage. It's just a me thing. And James is like, no, 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 no. Remember, he talks about your faith shows. Your faith is to show. And the showing of your faith, it's not a braggadocious thing. It's like, come on, it shows. If it's real, it'll show. If there's no showing, you have to ask yourself, is there real faith? And here we come to wisdom, and James brings up, it's like, hey, fact of the matter is, loved ones, wisdom shows as well. It just shows, not braggadociously, but it shows. In fact, look at how it shows. Let it show. Uh, um, that sounded like a song, didn't it? There? Um, but it's good, kind of let him show. Note, no, in the meekness of wisdom, I love that term. God-given wisdom shows, but not braggadociously, not to go like, I'm wise, but it shows in the kind of manner to where it's, it, it's in meekness of wisdom. Now, in that day, James is writing to a scattered, scattered Messianic Jews um, who most of them were poor, if not very, very poor. So in that culture, it was in the day to where there were two kind of people who were viewed as having creds in the community. One was the wealthy. James, by the way, has talked about that. Uh, secondly is those who were teachers. And, and those who were teachers, because think about this, even if you were poor, if you wanted, I'm not saying this is right, I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's coming from a good place of heart, but even if you wanted creds in your community, even someone who's poor can be able to get creds in their community in their mind, in a human level, by becoming a teacher. And so many were wanting to become teachers to wrongly, out of pride, to have creds in their community. And James is talking about here, no, wisdom shows in meekness. It shows in meekness here. It's not about gaining creds. That's not what it's talking about. It's in meekness. It's in humility. So as I'm thinking through this, and I'm thinking, so who might illustrate or how might I illustrate uh, conduct of wisdom being lived out in, the meek, in a meekness of wisdom, and who, who might fit that bill? Um, Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? I mean, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Literally, we could say God's wisdom physically came down, okay? You want to talk about someone who is 
had God's wisdom and God's wisdom in meekness. Uh, look at Jesus Christ. In fact, Philippians 2, uh, let me read for you here. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, uh, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition, keep that in mind because James is gonna say it, or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant yourselves. Uh, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. He's talking on the same idea here. And then what does Paul bring up here in Philippians chapter two, verse five? Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, talking about meekness, even death on a cross. Hey, Wisdom in meekness was perfectly exemplified by Jesus Christ. I mean, Colossians chapter one tells us that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was the one who effected the creation of things. He was the one who created things. And now he steps his feet on ground among sinners to do for us what we sad sinners could not do for ourselves. I'm telling you, that is not only loving, I would say that is a crazy, wise, meek thing to do. I mean, allow his wisdom to be lived among us. Amazing, amazing. True wisdom looks like Jesus, friends. True wisdom looks like Jesus in the demeanor of meekness. We have this view today that wisdom is kind of this person walking around and everyone falls and adores them in that. Not that. Not that. In the meekness of Jesus. So James turns from explaining here what wisdom is and getting it out, put out on the table here. And so now he goes into the next couple verses and he explains what wisdom does not look like, all right? So James, he puts the subject out and then he begins explaining and illustrating. So we're gonna kind of clear the screen. We'll bring that up here in a little bit. We'll, we'll go to this next point and here's the point that he gets into in the uh, next few verses. There is a wisdom that does not come down from heaven. So what does wisdom not look like? What does wisdom from God not look like? Well, here he lays it out. Begins verse 14. I would call it traits of a false wisdom. Traits of a false wisdom, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and that's Philippians 2 as well, in your hearts, uh, do not boast and be false to the truth. Hey, friends, false wisdom does not have bitter, or false wisdom is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It's characterized by that, false wisdom is. Life around others, it looks like an envious comparison and a me-oriented competition. Uh, false wisdom living has a competitive comparison world that goes on. Hey, have you noticed just how uh, us broken human beings when we walk into a room 
how we just have this way about ourselves uh, and not a good way where we walk in and we size things up and in that sizing things up, we size ourselves up in it and it's like, how do we fit? Where are we at? What's going on? And, and James is essentially saying, I'm telling you, that, that is a bitter, jealousy, selfish ambition reality that's going on. Here's how it can show up. And remember, James is talking not just to individuals. James is particularly talking to the community of believers. Listen, false wisdom is like this. It thinks, well, it's about how I see things. It's about how I think about things. It's what I prefer, what I deserve. Uh, Bitter jealousy. Why them? I mean, what they do to deserve that? That's not fair. How can I get that? Selfish ambition. Their way is the wrong way. Mine is the right way. I know what's best for all. Most of the time. What are they doing for me? What am I going to get out of it? Jeepers, I'd like to be noticed. I'd like to be esteemed. I'd like for my ministry hobby horse to, to be lifted up. Bitter jealousy. Selfish ambition. Know this, friends. When those things are in the room, God's wisdom is not there. Let me say it this way. When those things are in my heart, God's wisdom is not reigning there. I want to read to you a very honest um, statement. I really appreciated it. I really appreciated this as a pastor. Um, So I'm going to put it in my room of my job, if you will. Um, J.D. Greer, he's the pastor of Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, He preached in his first couple years. uh, He finished a series in Acts, and and then that led him to go, we need to make some changes. We need to become a blessing to our community because we're not that right now. And so he says this in his book, early part of it, he says this. During this transition, kind of during his transition of some ministry orientation, God revealed that my focus on my kingdom went deeper than I'd realized. One afternoon, I was praying for some massive revival in our city. As I was praying, it just kind of like did a thing in me where it was like the Spirit of God suddenly asked me, uh, and what if I answer this prayer, but I choose another church to do it through? What if that church grows and yours doesn't? In that moment, I felt a disguise of uh, religiosity had been ripped off of my selfish heart and I was exposed. I only wanted to see my church succeed, my kingdom enlarge, my name magnified. Somehow, I love this, somehow thy kingdom come had become jumbled all up with my kingdom come. Ministries, you see, is a great place for guys with the idol of success to hide because we can mask our selfish ambition in the cloak of doing great things for God. And he notes it's an ugly thing. The church is Jesus' bride. We leaders of the church are simply servants who escort the bride to the heavenly groom. It is never about us. It is only about him and them. When we are doing our best work, we are invisible, or at least no one is paying that much attention to us. 
Amen to that. Amen to that. And I bring that up because there's no bitter jealousy. He's acknowledging his bitter jealousy and even selfish ambition there. And he's repenting of that. And maybe we, maybe I, maybe you need to follow as well. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and then uh, boasting and lying about what true wisdom is, the text notes here. It's kind of lifting untruth up as truth and it's making truth untruth. You work that out. It's actually making untruth your truth, which ends up making truth untruth. Uh, don't do that. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts in this, that he understand and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. Traits of false wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting and lying. That's what false wisdom looks like. Uh, here's, here we go, verse 15. Uh, sources of false wisdom. Uh, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. A few comments on those, earthly. That's the opposite from above. Uh, so far, uh, the wisdom has always been referenced by James as, as wisdom from above. And it's not that, it's earthbound wisdom. It's wisdom that shuts God out or for sure uh, puts him uh, to the side. It's false wisdom, it's fake wisdom, it's, it's earthly human wisdom. It's unspiritual, it's the opposite of spiritual. It's devoid of the spirit. It's fleshly human wisdom. It's not God's wisdom. Earthly, unspiritual and then James, wording things in a way to win friends. Demonic. That's right. What's he talking about there? Man, I could spend some time, but I'd quickly. I think he's making reference to wisdom that's grounded in the origins of demonic history. It comes from there. How interesting is that, by the way? Last week, James mentioned about the tongue, that the tongue is set on fire by hell. I mean, it's like in the origins. Once sin came into the world, it's just lit on the trigger, ready to blast. And here he's making where false wisdom, it's literally grounded, if I could say this, it's grounded in the Garden of Eden and what happened with Adam and Eve. Satan slithering around. Satan sticks his ugly head up and he goes, however he talked, but it had to be sensual in some kind of convincing way. And he comes up and he, what does he communicate? He communicates untruth. Did God really say? No, no, no. Here's what is the real fact. That is a lie from the pit of hell coming from the one who's the king over the pit of hell. And false truth began in the Garden of Eden and continues from that originating reality of it. It's false truth, friends. It's demonic in its origins. Earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And I had two questions that come out of that. One, why do we expect people who do not know the Lord or love the Lord, why do we expect unbelievers in our world to be acting like they're believers? Why do we do that? Why do we expect people who don't know the Lord, um, neighbors, it could be 
children, it could be a spouse, it could be friends, it could be people in your work, at your school, in your community, it could be people in, in, in Hollywood, it could be people, hey, here's one, politics. Like, why do we expect people who don't know the Lord to be thinking and talking and have wisdom like they do? We don't understand where we live. This is not heaven. You know that? This is not heaven. We were created for that. And if you know Christ is your savior, you have the eternal hope that that will be future reality. But right now, we're living hell on earth. That's the reality of it. And why are we expecting for people who don't know the Lord to act like they have wisdom of the Lord? Oh, I can spend time. I'm worked up on that one. I just don't get it anymore. What's going on with us? Second question, where do your philosophies originate from? Where do your philosophies of life on how you are doing life? Seriously, where do they originate from? Origination matters. And that's what he's bringing up here in the text. Adam and Eve are conned. I'm going to tell you, friends, there's a lot that looks really good out there. There's a lot that sounds really good out there. There's a lot that maybe we could even kind of half-bake a verse around it. But it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic in its origins. What is your purpose of relationships? What's it founded on? Marriage, parenting, dating, church, your view of work, your view of money, your view of giving, your view of serving, your view of gender, your view of sex, your view of creation. From where is it sourced from? Wisdom is an important reality. Traits of false wisdom, sources of false wisdom. Verse 16, outcomes of false wisdom. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, which is what he was saying in verse 14, there will be disorder in every vile practice. It carries this idea there will be a, a, a continuous unstableness of life. Life just, by the way, when we think of that, we're automatically thinking circumstances. Like the cults, man, if they would just win again, that would be like stable my life out. We're not talking about circumstances. This is really talking about wisdom. Wisdom that's disordered. Wisdom that is restless and chaotic. That's lacking in peace. Listen, friends, we can live in an ungodly, unwise world and people of God's wisdom from above can even have stability in that, have order in that. It doesn't mean it's easy. I mean, let's go back to Jesus as the example. In Gethsemane, Father, is there any other way we can do this? Because I'm so not like into this right at the moment. In fact, I'm sweating blood. It doesn't make it easy, but there brings peace. Whatever your will is, I will do then. There, there's an there's a order to it. It also notes this vile practice, this false wisdom. There's this cacophony of wrong, this cacophony of malicious living that goes on. That is our world. Maybe say it this way. This is our world. And James is saying, essentially, if he were today, things haven't changed in 2,000 years, have they? No, they haven't. 
And he's helping us to understand, not that, not that. Listen, if these traits, if these characteristics are in the room and you're doing of life, God's wisdom is not there. Okay? So man, Doug, can you get positive and can we bring about what God's wisdom is? Can. Let's do it. Verses 17 and 18. Small groups, I'm just going to kind of put some of these things out there in small groups. You as individuals, you can dig into these further. I'm just going to summarize them. Look, verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above. The wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable and then gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's just touch on these. First, pure. It's ethical. Not the human standards, but, but it's this idea of there, there is a moral reality to it. It's a, oh yeah, it's wisdom from above. It's free from double-mindedness. Love that out of uh, verses five through eight. Ask wisdom, but then don't walk away double-minded. Listen, God's wisdom does not have double-mindedness to it. It's God-driven. It's God-centered. It's God's source. It's truth-driven. It's God's word. Hey, what are the verses? What are the passages that are driving you right now? What are the verses? What are the passages that are driving how you're responding, how you're thinking about these things? It's first pure. It's the opposite of earthly. It's the opposite of unspiritual. It's the opposite of demonic-originated. Pure. Then peaceable. It's not simply the idea of keeping peace, but it's about being someone who seeks after making peace. It's ready for peace. It's loving peace. It's the opposite of combative jealousy. It's peaceable. Again, it doesn't mean there's always peace everywhere you walk. It's not like you have a glow and everywhere you walk, everyone just goes, oh, Peace is in the room finally. It's not that, but there's a peace of the heart that's from above. By the way, can I remind you from Romans 12, 18? Note that down, Romans 12, 18. It says, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably. There are just some people, sometimes some situations that peace can't be had. But it's, this is the kind of idea. But people of Godwism are seeking to bring peace into it. They desire peace to be, not for themselves, not for their ease, but for God's glory. Then gentle. It's characteristically, characteristically considerate. It's characteristically kind. It's characteristically gentle. And gentle includes willing to yield and willing to yield even if wronged. And might I remind you, James is particularly writing to the communities of believers scattered, not just individuals. Communities that are like that. We're not talking about being people that cave. We're not talking about being a people that wimp out. We're not talking that. Hey, I just want to have a quick conversation with the men in the room. Ladies, you can stay. I'm just talking to the men in the room as a man. Men, real men, God's kind of men are characteristically gentle, characteristically kind, characteristically considerate. 
young men, if you think being a man means like being a tough guy and being a brute, I'll just say, and being a jerk, you have the wrong understanding of what being a man is for the Lord. Oh, and you older men, grown men, us too. There are no brutes for God. And if you're physically abusive, verbally abusive, I'm telling you it starts from you in your home and you have a responsibility for it. And if that describes you, stop it. We've got far too much of this ungentleness going on, not only in, in homes, but I'll even say it in churches. Which is just a loving, gentle push. Wisdom is pure and peaceable. Open to reason is the next one. It's the opposite of obstinate. It welcomes thinking. It even welcomes being challenged. Man, you can't do that today. One of the, probably the, I think one of the greatest sins of our day uh, viewed by our culture is the sin of offending. You can't offend me. Sorry, friends, grow up. We have that, and it's just a game that's being played, and it's even back at me. Listen, we should be able to push back and forth gently, lovingly, and yet truthfully. Someone who's open to reason, and it's not just stuck in my way all the time. Listen, uh, this is what wisdom in the room looks like. It's pure, it's ethical, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason. Also, it's full of mercy and good fruits. It's the opposite of producing strife and evil actions. It's full of mercy. Remember in chapter two, mercy triumphs over judgment. It's full of wisdom living fruit, glorifying fruit for the Lord. Next, it's impartial and sincere, not making distinctions. Remember that earlier in chapter two? No partiality, God's people, no partiality. God's wisdom is impartial, making no distinctions, and it's sincere. It's not playing a persona game. It's not one thing at church, it's not one thing in the, out in the community, and then another thing at home or another thing at work. It's not God's people, one thing in here and then out there something else. It's sincere, it's real. And lastly, producing a harvest of righteousness. I think this is kind of summarizing out of the, all of the above. A statement just depicting the results of, of a life driven by God-given wisdom. It's characterized by the items of pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincere. And out of that comes this whole, uh, this whole fruit of glory unto the Lord. Man, that more of this in my life. More of this in your life, amen? Oh, and by the way, again, I just have to keep bringing this back. James is first and foremost writing to local communities of believers. Oh, more of this in the community of God's people in local churches scattered around. This is how God's people are to be displaying wisdom, friends. When this is in the room, when this is in the heart, God's wisdom is there. 
Maybe you look at these lists that James gives here and I think it should press into us and, oh God, I need growth in that area. Oh God, give me wisdom. Might that be more of, of what I look like for you? Presently, actively, continuously, imperatively, James 1 verse 5, coming before the Lord. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us wisdom. So God, that's what we pray. That's what we pray for. Lord, we are a people in need. We are a people who just on our own, characteristically, are unwise. We are bent towards earthly, unspiritual, demonic-originated, we could call it sinful wisdom. God, I pray that we would take this carefully, that we would be serious about this. Lord, I even pray this week that we might individually just be examining ourselves and asking ourselves, where, where's, what's the truth source for that? As to how I'm talking, how I'm thinking, how I'm processing. God, are these traits living now in this room, in my home, with my spouse, with my friends, with, with family, with co-workers, with school, with my community, with politics of this day. Lord, these are the kinds of traits that should be growing out of us. It should show. So Lord, you're not providing these. James is not providing these to crush us. I believe James is providing these to call us. To help us to see. To help us to yearn. And to help us to be people who are on our knees more. So Lord, we cry out for you for wisdom. And we do so for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.